Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46, The Judgment of Nations. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all of the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will put the sheep at his right, and he will put the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are my members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, you that are accused, depart from me and into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick, and in prison, and did not visit me. Then they will also answer, Lord, when was it? that we saw you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not take care of you. Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the story of faith and faithful struggle. Thanks be to God. Let us be in a spirit of prayer. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be acceptable to you, our strength and our salvation. And may we, like Samuel, cry out and say, Speak, Lord, for we are listening. Amen. This is Christ the King Sunday the ultimate of the Christian year in which we rejoiced at Jesus' birth, learned about his life, celebrated his resurrection from death, and studied his life and ministry. The scripture that we hear today culminates all we have learned and experienced. We heard it a month ago at Laity Sunday as a way to explore our service in the world, and now we hear that by caring for the least of these, we care for Jesus, the King, the Lord of life. Grant has just read Matthew 25, the text in which Jesus reminds us that by serving the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, the sick, and the prisoner, we serve Him, 
Jesus, the King, the Lord of all, that by serving these who are least, we are serving him who is greatest. What are we expecting? What did they expect at Jesus' birth? They expected a king, didn't they? And yet, what happened was a baby was born in a feeding trough in a place of animals. What did they expect when Jesus triumphantly returned into the city of Jerusalem? A king on a white stallion. And yet Jesus came as the humble son of a carpenter riding a donkey. Jesus surprises us over and over again. Jesus surprises us by being present in the eyes of those who we look into, by being present in we ourselves. We are often surprised by that failure to recognize the Son of God. Or more to the point, we're, we're surprised at where the Son of God hangs out, with prostitutes and tax collectors, with prisoners and sex offenders. God is present in each beloved one of his creating. Jesus is present. Now it might be more comfortable to think of Jesus in a romanticized way, in a picture that looks a lot like us hanging on a wall. One of the things that I found most delightful about traveling to Israel is there is a place where there are portraits of Jesus from every country in the world and so often Jesus is not only dressed in a way that is common to that particular society, but also his facial features look something like them. Now this isn't like the us looking into a portrait, being white, looking at a portrait of a white Jesus, who was not white, who was a man who had dark skin and came from the Middle East. But this particular church, with all of these life-size paintings of Jesus, have him embodying each society because Jesus is in the eyes of each one, each society, each race, each skin color, each expression of God. Jesus is there. It might be easy to think about a romanticized version of Jesus. In fact, one of the Gospels that didn't make it into the canon that is scripture is one that talks about who Jesus was as a child. It's not necessarily substantiated and I'm not telling it to you this morning as fact. I'm telling it to you this morning as interest. It's interesting to think of Jesus in special and miraculous ways to think that that's what God is. So for instance, there's a story about Jesus as a boy shaping birds out of clay and then watching delightedly as they flap away alive. There's a story where Jesus' sweat drops hit the ground and balsam trees grow. There's a story of where his swaddling clothes lay, fire did not burn. There's a story of a dying boy placed in Mary's house who was cured by the mere smell of Jesus' garments. He goes on to recount in this book, this book that comes from the Gospel of the Infancy of Jesus Christ. Philip Yancey actually quotes this. 
He goes on to recount the work's description of Joseph, Jesus' father, as a rather mediocre carpenter who did his best to fashion milk pails, gates, sieves, and boxes, and then would call upon Jesus for that final touch. Because in this one situation, there was a time where Joseph found himself in great peril after supposedly mismeasuring a throne he had crafted for a king. In anger, the king threatened retribution, but just as things got tense, young Jesus appeared and miraculously the huge throne enlarged to fill the space in perfect proportion. It might be comforting to have a romanticized view of Jesus, our King, our Lord and Savior, but that would be a Jesus that is unattainable, Jesus that is not like us, and that is one of the most important aspects of the incarnation, the coming to earth of Jesus Christ, that he is like us, that he experienced human life, human emotions and sensation, the embodiment of Jesus within each one that we see, within we ourselves, is critical to bringing the kingdom. And that's why when we talk today about Matthew 25, when we talk about the sick and the hungry and the prisoner and the foreigner, when we talk about Jesus being in those people, we recognize that we too have the capacity to reach out in God's love that is working in and through us to bring the kingdom, to bring peace on earth. That's a good point, isn't it? What is it that we expect? What effect do we expect our faith life to have on us? We have journeyed together through the Christian year, which begins with Advent, travels through the birth of Jesus, through his childhood, through these wonderful stories, then we get to the time of his crucifixion and death and resurrection. And then for the whole summer, we're talking about all the stories of Jesus and we're learning about the various things. And then we get to this time of year, Christ the King, and we're supposed to have it all together. We're supposed to have finished the course, got our degree. But still there is work to do. And yet we cannot be frustrated because there is work to do. And we are made to do it. God has created us, given us the tools. You remember in the message version of Matthew 13, I believe it is, he talks about the Great Commission and says, you are the equipment. Don't take anything with you. You are the equipment. It's like that spiral illustration where we are going through that Christian year and we are coming back to the beginning of it again. And it's like a spiral though. It's not, it's not going back to the same spot. It's going back and we're a little bit higher, a little bit higher. We've learned a little bit more. And sure, there are times when we slide back, but we are ever in motion. We are ever supplied by God with all that we need to do this work in the world. So what effect did we expect it to have on us? This long-awaited Messiah, this Lord of Lords, Prince of Peace, we thought that we would have a perfect world. The Israelites certainly thought that they would have freedom from oppression. We certainly hope that we will have freedom from the kinds of things that oppress us in our world today. Things like rampant poverty and attacks on the climate and attacks on our young black men and misunderstanding and holding down of our people of color and women. We expect Jesus to come and solve all this and Jesus teaches us that Jesus has 
been manifest in us, in our eyes, in the eyes of the stranger, the one whom we least expect it, and the work is here for us to do. Jesus has revealed God's true self to us and has revealed to us that it exists within each of us, that possibility of doing that next little incremental step of good, of making manifest that back lives do in fact matter, that we do need to include our LGBTQ friends in the full life of the church, not just as a token, but in the full leadership of the church, in our values right down to the core. In fact, this was happening in the time of the Bible as well when, when Peter thought, well, everything is, is hunky-dory, right? We, we should just go right ahead and, and everything is fine. And Peter comes to Jesus and Jesus says, feed my sheep, and has to tell him over and over again. And this is illustrative of the fact that we are told over and over again this beautiful story that we hear through the Christian church. The advent of the Messiah, the birth of Jesus Christ, the baptism of our Lord, and then going on through this story. And then we come back around again. And it's just like Jesus telling Peter, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. It's here. It's in front of us. And we're looking for rom some romanticized form of Jesus. Or we're looking for some formula that seems like it's so complicated it must be right. But the formula is simple. Feed the hungry. Give drink to those who thirst, clothe the naked, welcome the stranger, visit the prisoner, heal the sick. It's in front of us what we are called to do. Of course, we might see it on a sign in someone's yard today, like Black Lives Matter, science is real, women's rights are human rights, water is life, no human is illegal. It's right in front of us, the work that is to be done. And it's not always work that has to be done out in the world with a shovel or, or some kind of mechanical equipment. It is work that has to be done in our heads and in our hearts and in our relationships and what we represent to others as what we understand our lives as faithful Christians to be. What surprises me about this passage is the surprise. The surprise of both groups, because you see in this passage that Jesus is talking to two groups of people. The one whom he is saying, well done, good and faithful servant, enter ye into the kingdom of heaven. I realize that's a quote from a different piece of scripture. And the other in which he is saying, more clearly I think than almost anywhere else, that you are damned to hell if you do not do these things. Feed the hungry, visit the prisoner, these things, right? But what surprises me about both those people, both those groups, is that they both say, well, when did we do these things? Or when didn't we do these things? They don't seem to understand their calling to be present to these people who are in need. Neither group denies its behavior. One group did indeed feed the hungry, welcome the stranger, visit the imprisoned, and more, but they didn't think much of it. They knew it was the right thing to do, and they did it. And the other group didn't do these things, and they didn't think much of it either. Well, I'm too busy to that, do that. Somebody else would take care of that. It was ordinary course of events for them that they didn't do such things. Those at the left hand of the Son of Man seek an excuse and almost put the blame on him, as if to say, well, you didn't reveal yourself, so how could we do these things? Jesus is, in fact, 
the revelation of God, the revelation of love itself in the world. Jesus is constantly revealing God to us. And as we go through this year, this Christian year, over and over again, each calendar year, we remind ourselves of that, we learn it a little more clearly, and we begin to manifest it here in the world. So they're not surprised by the report of their actions. What they're surprised about is that Jesus was present. The promise that God regularly shows up in those places and those persons where we least expect God to be. It never crossed their mind that God was present. Think about your life. Think about the place in which you would least expect to see God show up. And now realize that He, Jesus, God, is actually there, is in fact present. I heard an interesting story about um, someone who was walking down the street in Sacramento years ago and a fellow in worn out clothes and holes in his shoes came near. The person telling the story could smell the man walking by. But suddenly it dawned on him that God loved him. God loved that person as much as he loved the person telling the story. God loves even those people that we don't recognize God in immediately. So for instance, if you're on a plane, if you're on a flight and there's somebody who everybody else seems to be recognizing but you're not, and he ends up being a football player, we don't always recognize people. There, I've been heard stories of stars who've been flying across country and people don't necessarily recognize them out of the situation that they're most familiar with them in. That's what it's like with Jesus, being present and not being recognized. But as Christians who have studied this story, who have heard this story, who have loved this story over the years, we know that God is present in each one. One of the central tenets of Luther's theology is that God regularly, even relentlessly, shows up just where we least expect God to be. Not in Jerusalem or Rome, but in backwater Bethlehem. Not in armor, but in the vulnerable flesh of a babe. Not in conquest, but in crucifixion. Not in power, but in weakness. Again and again, God in Jesus shows up where we least expect God to be. To surprise us, to disarm us, to overturn our expectations and our judgments, all in order to invite us to give up our attempts to redeem ourselves, or even to just go it alone, instead relenting to God's redemptive, surprising, and uncontrollable love that pours out, that gushes forth, that lavishes us with grace. Which means that the surprising element of this week's gospel doesn't only apply to first century Christians who felt like the world was against them. It may just serve to remind any and all Christians, us here today, that God regularly and reliably shows up in those to whom we give little thought, those whom we tend to disdain, even those whom we may hold the opposite political belief from. This passage invites us to recognize the presence of God in the need of those around us. 
God is not calling us in this passage to take care of those who are already all set. God is calling us to the least. God is calling us to see Jesus in those who have nothing. There's a theological maxim that whenever you draw a line between who's in and who's out, you'll always find Jesus on the other side. So if we draw that line of haves and have-nots, of political parties on either side, Jesus is always on the other side. So it's up to us to think about who is left out in the reign of God. In this final discourse in the book of Matthew, we rediscover another theme that has been running throughout Matthew's gospel, the theme of discipleship. At the heart of the Sermon on the Mount is the call to an obedience that is not only a prescription or law or sacrifice, but joyfully living in the mercy without calculation. This joyful living takes believers to an unexpected place. It takes them to the cross. It takes them to the cross in human lives, to the cross in the life of family, community, society, nation, and world. It takes them to the place of God's suffering in the world. We're talking about Jesus in the form of those who are suffering, waiting for us to whom it has been revealed to come and love them and release them from their oppression and release ourselves from the oppression that we face in having that kind of a dichotomy even in our thinking. We are at the end of the church year. The final judgment concludes both the year and this section of gospel readings from Matthew. We stand continually within that final judgment in the gospel, the passion story of Jesus Christ in our liturgical year, the advent of this passion in the incarnation, the presence of God in Jesus here on earth in the presence of us. So at the end of the day, to claim Christ as king, to believe in God's reign, has a claim on us, has a claim on our present. And not just the future glory of thy kingdom come. It's how we decide to live, how we decide to respond to these needs that really matters. So let's be in a spirit of prayer. O Holy One, Continuously reveal yourself to us that we might always care for those in need, knowing that as we do, we revere the Lord of life, your Son, our Savior. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Amen.